Welcome to Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. My name is Matthew Tilly, and I'm the pastor of McConnell Road Baptist, and we're glad that you've joined us for this podcast. If you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org. Mark chapter 9. We're going to pick up in verse 30 in Mark chapter 9. And um, before I do that, I want to just uh, ask the Lord to help me as I preach to you. And I hope you will uh, pray for us as well. Let's pray together. Lord, I need your help this morning. I want to preach your word. You know that I want to do this in a way that's honoring to you and helpful to these people. Lord, we need your Holy Spirit to come and he needs to cover me over. He needs to convict these hearts. And I pray, Lord, that they, we will all be submissive to his direction. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Mark chapter 9, where we're going to pick up in verse 30, um, Jesus has just released a, a demonic spirit from a little boy. You saw that last week in the verses previous. It was a really um, emotional scene, a disturbing scene in some ways. And as they are finishing that task, and Jesus teaches his disciples, and this whole, this whole section, starting in the middle of chapter 8 of Mark and really going through the, really the end of chapter 10, Jesus is using everything that's going on here to teach his disciples what it means to be a disciple. He's trying to show them, and he does, he shows them what it means to follow him. And so he uses even that experience to, as a teaching moment, if you will, to say, hey, y'all, this is what you need to do. This is what you need to do. Verse 30, they, they depart from there. It says they departed thence and passed through Galilee. And he would not, and he would not that any man should know it. This is a, kind of an underlying theme in the book of Mark where Jesus was telling his disciples, don't tell anybody just yet exactly what we're doing because he knew where it was going. He knew there would be a cross and he wanted that to happen when it was supposed to happen, not because somebody run their mouth, you know. So anyhow, he's telling them to be quiet about it. And then in verse 31, it says, he taught his disciples and said unto them. So this is where he's teaching them. He's pulling them aside. He's teaching them. By the way, he's about to teach them something that he's really just introduced to them. This is the third time in the book of Mark that he has talked about this. You'll see the first time over in chapter 8 in verse 31 and the second time in chapter 9 and verse 12. But it's the third time he's talked about this, and look what he's talking about here. He says, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of men, and they shall kill him. And after that he is killed, he shall rise the third day. Of course, in verse 32, they did not, they'd understand not, they understood not what that saying, and they were afraid to ask him. But what Jesus is telling them here is, listen, I'm the one who is going to die for your sins. Paul writes about this in Philippians chapter 2, beginning in verse 5, where he says that Jesus thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Here's the God of the universe. I want you to understand what Jesus is telling these people. He's the God of the universe. He is the one who spoke in Genesis chapter 1, let there be light, and there was light, and then of course everything that followed from that. He's the one that invented human beings. I mean, it was his idea. He made them. He created them from the dust of the earth. He made the dirt, and he made a man out of the dirt. 
He did all of that. And here is the God of the universe, the one who thought it not robbery to be equal with God. Paul says in Philippians 2 that he makes himself of no reputation. He lowers himself. He makes himself to something less. And as he does so, he doesn't just come down to earth. If I were God, and y'all can be grateful that's not the case, but if I were God and I were going to come to earth, I would come as some great king, maybe a big general who's going to overthrow some, overthrow some, some terrible empire. I, I, maybe I would do some great image. I would come in, but what does he do? Jesus comes when he makes himself of no reputation. He takes on the form of a servant. He takes on the form of a servant. And he humbles himself and becomes obedient to death. Not just any death, but the death of the cross. And that's why he says here that he would be delivered. The Son of Man is going to be delivered into the hands of men. He is doing this, Jesus is doing this, because this is the will of the Father. That's what he wants to do. So there was no, there was no fight. Again, y'all, y'all, any of y'all try to threaten to kill me, and y'all might be bigger than I am, and you, maybe more of you, and you might be able to take me to my death, but you better believe I'm going to fight you as much as I can. I may be ineffective, but I'm going to fight it. But Jesus, on the other hand, you know what he's doing? He's willingly, humbly submitting this. So it says there he's going to be delivered into the hands. Delivered into the hands of men. The same creation that he decided in his, he had no he didn't have to do any of this but he chose to make humanity and that same humanity that he made lovingly made them created them in his own image they're now going to turn against him and abuse him of course he says after they kill him he dies the death of the cross that after that he would rise the third day he would be killed by those men. They would take his life. The same people who he gave breath to breathe, they would take his life. But he would rise the third day victorious nonetheless. Because as Paul writes, continuing over in Philippians, because God hath highly exalted him and giveth him a name which is above every name. Because even though they would taunt him, they would spit upon him, they would hurt him, they would drive nails into his, into his hands, into his feet, they would leave him there till he died, they would plunge a spear into his side, they would take his lifeless body down from that, they would throw him in a grave just because that was the only thing available, Nobody, otherwise they put him, would have just thrown him out on a, on, a, on a trash heap essentially, but they would just toss his body aside like any piece of trash, but Paul writes in Philippians that every tongue will confess that this person that i'm talking about is lord that everyone will say he is lord to the glory of god the father i'm telling you that and i'm belaboring this point there's more to this passage but i'm belaboring this point to make sure you know because it's not just talking to peter and john and james and and those guys thomas he's talking to y'all too you say we, this is mcconnell road baptist church Lots of things tied up in what that means, but one thing in the essence of what that means is that you say you are a follower of Jesus if you're a member of this church. Now, if you're not a member of this church, I'm not sure why you came in here. Maybe it was because you also believe that you're a follower of Jesus. Maybe you came in here because you're interested in that, but ultimately the reason to be in this, in this room right now is to say I'm in some way identifying myself with Jesus Christ. That's what that's what a Baptist church does. 
So I'm trying to get you to see this is who you say you identify with. The God of the universe who came to this earth humbling himself, suffering at my hands and your hands, victoriously coming back to life, and now seated in heaven, and we say he is Lord. That's who we follow. Now what's interesting is the disciples in verse 32 say they, they didn't understand what he was talking about. I, I would dare say that some of us don't understand what he's talking about, what, I'm, what I was trying to tell you. I don't think we completely understand. I mean, you say, well, I, I've, I've been to Sunday school. I've heard it preached. I know what you're saying. But they had heard it a couple of times. They've been walking with Jesus for a, a few months at least at this point. And they didn't understand it. I'll, I'll tell you, it, it, maybe it was hard to comprehend. Maybe even what I said to you is hard to comprehend. In fact, the Bible says in another place, in 1 Corinthians specifically, that all of what I said is foolishness to people. It's a stumbling block to some people. It's not sensible to some people. By the way, we have a nice crowd for us this morning after in a, in a post-COVID world. We've got a nice crowd this morning. But there are thousands upon thousands of people in our neighborhoods, in our backyards, who will not just not come to this church. They won't go to any church because they don't identify with this Jesus because they don't comprehend him. You see, this is, what's, this is what the, the, the gospel is not as clear as we like to think it is sometimes. And I say clear, but clear to the natural mind. It's hard to comprehend. It's not natural. But Jesus had picked these men out. Chapter 8, verse 34, he picked them out, and he says, I want you to pick up your cross and follow me. I want you to come with me. And I will say, Jesus is doing the same thing to you. He has said, I want you to come after me. Now know where Jesus is going. Y'all know where Jesus is going? He's not going to Carowinds. He's not going to Golden Corral. Where's Jesus going? He's going to the cross. He's going to suffer. He's going to die. He is going to be rejected. Yes, we know he will be exalted. He will be elevated one day. But he is going to suffer. And he's saying, I want you to pick up your cross. And picking up your cross is not going down to the Christian bookstore and getting a pen to put on your lapel. Picking up your cross is actually saying, I'm prepared for death. So it's not any wonder to me that the disciples <laughs> didn't want to talk about that. It says there they were afraid to ask him. They didn't want to talk about that. Instead, what do they talk about? Well, if you were to look down there in verse um, 33, as they're going along, Jesus asked him, he says, what is it that you disputed among yourselves, by the way? Now, he knows what they were talking about. <laughs> Y'all know that. Jesus is just kind of trying to call them out on something, said, what are we talking about? Well, here's what they said, verse 34. But they held their peace. They didn't want to tell, they didn't want to tell Jesus what they were talking about because, for by the way, they had disputed among themselves who should be the greatest. Do you see the disconnect between this? I hope I'm illustrating this appropriately for you. Jesus is saying, I'm going to save the world. I'm going to suffer to do it. I, it's going to hurt. I want you to follow me to your death as we do this. It's going to be, it's going to be rough. It's going to hurt. It's not easy. But we're doing something significant, eternal here. And they, instead of asking him any questions about it, what do they do? They don't want to talk about that. They want to talk about who's greater. They want to talk about who gets more blessings. They want to talk about who got it right a little bit better. They want to talk about who gets the attention. They want to talk about who's going to get the first chair. 
They want to talk about who gets to sit up front. They want to talk about who gets the praise and the honor and the glory. That's what they want to talk about. Ultimately, it's a foolish debate that was driven by their culture. I want to make sure we're real clear when I say this here. I'm going to tell you what their culture was, but it's not going to be that much different than your culture either. I'm going to tell you what they, they, they wanted to do. You see, they were always striving to be the best. Even if you were the best of the worst, they were the best. They want to be the best. It reminds me of um, you know, Eli when he, he runs track. And if you know anything about running track, they do these heats. So you, you might have, a, I don't know, 60 different athletes running, but you can't have them all on the track at the same time, so you break them up in little groups, and they call them a heat. So this little group of whatever, five or six, it's running. And sometimes, you know, he'll come in first or second, like, yeah, you won. Well, but that heat was a little bit slower than the other heat, so he didn't really win the meet. He just won that little section, you understand. And that's how we often, like, yeah, I'm the greatest. Well, who are you comparing yourself against? Well, you're the greatest of the worst of the lot. You're not all that great. That's not all that good. Yeah, you're the greatest. You're, you're the least stupid. You're the least dumb. You're the, the least ugly. I mean, that, what, how, how does that help anybody? That's not all that great. But the point is that that's what their culture would have been about. Can I just tell you, that's what our culture is about? It's always about just, they even say, it's not how much money you make. There's a certain amount of money you need to make just to be able to make ends meet, be able to feed your family, right? There's a certain amount of that. But people don't really look, when they get above that amount, they really don't consider themselves successful based on a certain amount of money. They look at how successful they are compared to how much money they make compared to the people that they know. They literally look around, well, I'm making more than that guy, so I'm doing pretty good. I'm not making as much as that guy, so I'm not doing all that good. You see how silly we are? We, we compare ourselves to each other. This is how we value ourselves, how we compare to other people. Paul says in 2 Corinthians, we dare not make ourselves of the number or compare ourselves with some that commend themselves, people that put themselves forward, but they are measuring themselves among themselves and are not wise. That's not smart, is what the Bible says. So here they are debating, who's the best? Which is a silly conversation. But they missed two important opportunities First, in verse 32, Jesus is telling them about who he is and what he's about to do, and they don't even think about asking that, about that question. They don't want to talk about that. And then when Jesus comes back to them in verse 34, he says, now what were y'all talking about? The smart answer would have been something like, well, Jesus, kind of embarrassed to tell you, but we were debating who was the greatest, but could you talk to me a little more about what you were telling us about? That had been the better thing. They had opportunities to ask those questions, but they are not asking, teach me, help me. And what, here's the thing. When you are called to be a disciple, you are called not to win debates. You are not called to be the best. You are not called to be better than other people. You are called to learn at the feet of Jesus. That's what they're missing here. Disciples are called to learn, not to debate. I, I, I want to just ask you this pointed question. I'm not expecting a verbal answer in any, any way, but I do want you to think about this. Seriously think about this. Do you really know Jesus? 
you're going to say immediately, well, yes, here's the time and the place that I asked Jesus to save me. I, I understand that. I, I appreciate that. And I'm glad you know him in that way. But I'm saying, do you know Jesus? Do, do you know who he is? Do you know what he's done? Do you know what he's actually available to do in your life right now? Let's say tomorrow you wake up and you get a phone call and it's bad news, whether it's health or a family situation or a financials, whatever the bad news could imagine it be. When you pick up that phone and answer that bad news, what does Jesus have to say about that? Do, do you know? Do you know? And I'm asking you that because that's what disciples are supposed to understand. I'm not saying we have all the answers, but we learn those answers. We sit at his feet and we say, Jesus, help me to know what's going on here. Here's Jesus pulling these men aside in verse 31. I'm going to tell you a huge eternal truth. And then they walk away. So I don't know what he's talking about now. Who's greater? Now, how, how much is that like us? We hear the eternal truths of Scripture. And I'm not trying to point to myself as some sort of teacher of everything that is wonderful and you need to listen to every word. That's not what I'm trying to say. Don't take that from what I'm saying. But I am saying if it's in God's Word, it's worth listening to. I don't care whose mouth it comes out of. Listen to what the Word of God says. Instead of constantly griping and complaining, why don't I have my rights? Why don't I get my preferences? What I think I deserve? Instead of, why don't we just, can I just say it plainly to y'all? Can we just hush? Can we just be quiet a minute? Can we just sit down and sit at the feet of Jesus and say, Lord, I don't feel right. I'm upset. I'm disturbed. I'm angry. Whatever my emotion is, but I want to learn from you, Lord. Could you teach me something? Could you teach me something? That might mean sitting at home with your own scripture, opened up, reading the Bible, talking to the Lord. Lord, speak to me through the word. It might mean as you come in here and sit in the chairs of the, in the pews of the church, listening to the preacher as he speaks and tries to unfold to you the word of God. Listen, pay, making mental notes at least and saying, okay, now what do I need to do with this? And trying to apply it to your heart. And maybe it's riding down the road and turning on a radio station or putting on a, on a, on a, a, a preaching CD or something like that and listening to somebody teach the word of God and, and, and going not just because I'm trying to check a religious box, but going because I know that I'm called to be a learner. Do you understand that you are called to learn? And you say, well, I'm not, a, I'm not, I don't read well or whatever you're, you're I, don't, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't learn very well, whatever your issue is. And I know we all learn and read and think in different ways. I, I recognize that, but the God of the universe called you to learn. If he asks you to learn, do you think he can help you do it? I think he can. I think he can. So what we need to do is we need to learn about Jesus and we need to learn how to follow him better. We need to submit to teaching and learn. There's some of us that are so arrogant to think we don't need anybody to tell us anything. We need somebody to stir us up and get us excited, but we don't need anybody to give us any more new information. Do you understand that there are 66 books of God's revealed truth? I have been preaching off and on for about 10 years. And I have barely scratched the surface. And even when my preaching, their passage I'll go back to that I've preached before, that I had studied in depth, and there is more there than I was ever imagined I could imagine was there. There are men who give their entire lives to the ministry of the Word, and they get to the point where they understand, and they are very expert, if I can use that word, on a section of the Bible. 
That's all that the point is. There is so much there. Who can know the mind of the Lord? No one can except for what God revealed. And even that is so deep and so wide and has so many aspects to it. We're not done learning. We're called to be learners, not to be debaters. We're not trying to figure out who's better. We're trying to learn what God has for us. So, of course, they, they, they don't really want to talk about it in verse 34. But go with me to verse 35. Jesus knows what's going on. So he pulls them aside and he says, And he sat down and called the twelve and saith unto them, If any man desire to be first, the same shall be last of all and the servant of all. He says, Now listen, y'all. You want to be first. You want to be who's the greatest, right? You want to be the greatest? Well, you're, you're a follower of Jesus. Now, we're, we're starting with that premise. This is not, not in the world. You want to be first in business, you're going to have to probably kill somebody, okay? Let me just tell you. You're going to have to do something, something immoral, okay? But Jesus' world, this is what we're talking about, being Jesus' world, you want to be first, you want to be the most important one, what do you got to do? Well, Jesus says the way to be first is to be last. He said, well, what kind of sense does that make? Well, in Jesus' world, you know how you win? You lose, do you know how you live? You die. That's how Jesus' world is. It's upside down and backwards from a human perspective. Did I tell y'all y'all are following Jesus? You're not following Muhammad. You're not following Confucius. You're not following President Trump. You're not following anybody but Jesus. He's the one you're following. So you listen to Jesus. And you know sometimes you know what he's going to do? He's going to confuse you. You know what else he's going to do? He's going to make you mad. You follow Jesus, you know what else he's going to do? He's going to upset, as my daddy says sometimes, he's going to upset your apple cart. He's not going to, you're not going to like the way Jesus talks about things sometimes. <laughs> he says, if you want to be first in my kingdom, you need to get back in line. Whosoever shall lose his life, Jesus says in Mark 8, 35, for my sake in the gospels, the same shall save it. If you want to be something important in Jesus' world, you better get in line. That's why he tells Peter in chapter 8 of Mark, verse 33, get thee behind me. He says, get in line. Get where you're supposed to be. I'm king. I'm God. I'm important. I'm the leader here. You get in line behind me. That's why he says you're to deny yourself. Did you know that your Christian life is not about you? You're to deny yourself. Your Christian life is not about you. He says you're to take up your cross. You're to follow him to your absolute predetermined death. That's where this thing ends. Christianity does not end in piles of cash. Christianity does not end in success from a worldly perspective. Christianity's ultimate goal is to die for the name of Jesus. Now, let me tell you, that doesn't get real exciting real quick because I'm not interested in dying. I don't know about y'all. Anybody ready to die right now? At least if y'all say, raise your hand, good gracious, we will get you some psychological counseling. I mean, nobody's ready to die. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, that's what you're signing up for. We live in a world, in our church world, where we have to use the old phrase, we got too many chiefs and not enough, or too many, yeah, too many chiefs and not enough Indians, as they say. You see, <laughs> you know what God uses? Let me back it up. Do you know what we want to do? 
We want to be noble. We want to be mighty. We want to be in charge. Don't we? I, I do. Maybe y'all don't, but if you don't, you're weird. It's what we want to do. We want to be in charge, noble, mighty. But over in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says that God uses foolish, weak, simple, the nothings of the world. He says not many noble, not many mighty are called. He doesn't use them all that much. If you actually want to follow behind Jesus, you actually want to serve him, you want to do something for the Lord, you're going to have to get to the place where you're foolish, you're weak, and you're simple. I would argue that we are already there, whether we'd like to admit it or not. That's where humility comes in. We just need to acknowledge what we really are. Let's just be honest about it. Because disciples are called to follow, not to lead. Uh, there's a whole, 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 whole um, industry that's built up around leadership and leading. And, and I appreciate that we do need people to lead in a sense. But you know that Christianity is not your kingdom. It's not your culture. It's not your way of life. Can I add that this church, it's not my church or your church. Those pews are not your pews. This pulpit is not my pulpit. This is not ours. We don't lead this thing. This is not about us. God will call whom He wants to call, and He will put some into positions of leadership. I think we get this a little twisted up sometimes. He does from time to time put people in positions of leadership, whether that is in a pastoral role or a deacon role or in a, in a teacher role or leading some organization within the church. He does do that from time to time, and that is important within His church. But we dare not grasp it for ourselves. You want to lead? If you're a disciple of Jesus, you want to lead? You know how you lead? Do it like Paul did. Be you followers of me, even as I also am of Christ, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 11, verse 1. You want to lead people? Follow Jesus. Anybody that comes behind, say, hey, come behind me. We're following Jesus. We're following Jesus. I, I would dare say that if we would actually get excited about following Jesus, there will be people that will follow behind us the problem is we get this upside down. We want to be leaders. We want to be important. Look at me. Look at what I'm doing. Come after me. And most people got better sense than that. <laughs> they, know, they know better than that. There's a handful of idiots out there that'll follow you. There's a handful. There's always, there's always a dummy in every bunch. But, but most people look at you and say, I, I see something better over here. But if you'll get excited about following Jesus, you know what happens? We make disciples, they will follow us, but we make disciples of Jesus. The problem is we are doing what the Pharisees do. We're making ourselves great, and Jesus said to the Pharisees, you're making twofold disciples of hell. Ain't that something? They follow you, and you know where they're following? They're following you straight to the pit of hell. But if you instead will say, I'm going to follow after Jesus, I'm not trying to lead people, I'm trying to follow the one to be followed then we'll actually help some people. We'll actually help some people. I want you to find, I'm going to close up here. I'm going to read these last few verses. Verse 35, go back to that. He says, 
If any man's going to be first, the same shall be last. But look at, look at what he says there. In, I'm sorry, um, yeah, the, the church shall be last. Don't want to see that last phrase there. He says, last of all and servant of all. If you're a Christian, you're a follower of Jesus, you're not just last. You're not just in line behind the one following him. You're a servant. And not just a servant being willing to serve, but you're serving everybody. Everybody. He points in verse 36, he points to a child. He says he takes this child, he sits him in the midst of them, and when he had taken him in his arms, he said unto them. So he takes this little child. Some people believe, and I tend to agree with this, this assessment, it's probably Peter's child. They're probably at Peter's house. It might be Peter's son or daughter that they've pulled aside. He pulls this little kid aside, and he uses them as an illustration. And he says in, in verse 37, Whosoever shall receive one such children in my name, receiveth me and whosoever receiveth me receiveth not me but him that sent me he uses this child to say listen listen here you want to serve everybody i want you to serve everybody you want to be first in my kingdom you got to be last but not just last i need you to serve people not to serve people but serve everybody because when you serve everybody what you're doing is you are receiving them you are welcoming them you are helping them you are embracing them of course, their picture, this picture here is a picture of a, of a little one. We've talked about this on Sunday nights, a little one, one of Jesus' little ones, one of his Christians. But there's also a, a symbol here of those that are on the margins, on the fringe, the weak that are hurting, the people that are discarded by society. He says, what you need to be doing is you need to be serving those people. And by receiving them, by helping them, by serving them, you're actually illustrating to the world that you're one of my followers. If you're not willing to serve everybody, and by the way, I'm saying serve. I don't necessarily mean giving them all food or giving them money. That might be part of it, but that's not necessarily. It means receiving them, helping them, loving them, giving them, caring for them, reaching out to them, making connections with them. Whatever that is going to be different for every person. But if you're not willing to serve every person it begs the question, are you really a follower of Jesus? Disciples are called to serve everyone and to be a master over no one. I think we're too focused on our own needs. What do I need? What's important to me? I'm definitely, we're definitely, as, a, as Christians at this moment in history, we are way too concerned with our rights. Now, don't get me wrong. Let me just go ahead and plainly say it. I think the federal government and the state government, federal government of the United States of America and the state governor of North Carolina, governor, government, governor, Freudian slip, uh, government of North Carolina are going to take our religious freedoms away from us. I think it's coming. Now, let's say this. Let me say this very plainly. They're going to take it, but that's just par for the course. That's what has been happening to Christians throughout all of history. I'm not saying we got to be happy about it, but I am saying that's not the point of our existence. We were not born again as American Christians. We were born again as Christians first. We have, I, I, God bless America. Glad to salute the flag and pledge allegiance and all those good things. Don't hear that me say anything bad about that. Those of you that have served in our armed forces, thank the Lord for you. 
But Jesus did not die for America. He died for Christians. He didn't die for the Constitution. He died for people. He didn't die for our freedoms in this country. He died for our freedom in eternity. He died for our eternal souls. So there's going to come a time. I hope it's forever from now. But it might be in my lifetime. Where it will be illegal to meet in a church. There may come a time where it will be actually a black mark on you if you claim to be a Christian. You may lose your job because you say, I'm a Christian. That may be the world we come to live in. They may mark us as some kind of terrorist hate group, even though we do nothing wrong, nothing immoral, nothing, uh, at least in, from a, the right way of thinking of it, nothing illegal. But they will make what we do illegal. But what I'm trying to get you to hear me say is, you keep doing what you're doing. Quit complaining about them taking your rights. Don't be happy about it. No, let's not be happy about it. Let's stop, stop complaining about that and say, listen, I'm here to serve everyone. I'm not worried about what I'm losing. I'm worried about those people out there who've never heard the name of Christ. We're sitting here complaining about, well, they're not going to let us go to, they're going to take away our right to meet as a church. Well, when's the last time you invited anybody to come? Oh, 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 we're not going to be able to preach about Jesus. When's the last time you've even talked to anybody about Jesus? You see where I'm going with this? I'm trying to say, let's be less worried about the rights we have, which by the way, it's not even a right to begin with. It's what God said you're supposed to do, so you just go do it. And if the government wants to put you in jail for it or persecute you for it, well, if you do that, First Peter says, happy are you. That's the way it's supposed to be. We need to stop being worried about my rights, being concerned about being right. That's another thing. We, can, we can fight and argue about who's better and who's more right. Maybe y'all don't do it. I think you do, but let's just say you don't do it. It is, it is rife in the Baptist movement. Independent Baptist movement, we're the worst. Who's more right? Whose standards are higher? Who's got the, the right interpretation of this verse and that stuff? Again, not to say that doctrine's not important. I never will say that. But let me tell you, it's not about whether you're right or not. If you're not willing to serve all people, you're wrong. I don't care what you say you believe. Jesus says, if you don't accept these little children, look at what he says there. If you receive them, you receive me. And it's not just me, but you see, receive the Father. If you don't accept those people out there, the homosexual, the homeless, the hurting, the people whose families are breaking apart, those people who are going hungry because their dad or their moms have lost their job, those people who feel like they have no other choice than to get an abortion, those people who are roped into sexual slavery, those people that are involved in all those things that you find dirty and offensive. And so far, if you don't receive them, if you don't serve them, if you don't love them, Jesus said, not Matthew, but Jesus says, you've not received me. And you come in here and say, well, I'm a Christian. I know the date and the time and the hour. But did you, though? Are you following Jesus? Or are you following some tradition, something that makes you feel good about yourself? It's no wonder that we're not helping marginalized and hurt and lost people. 
It's no wonder we're not seeing more people. And I'm talking about, let's be real personal and local. That's why we're not seeing more people saved at McConnell Road Baptist Church. It's why we're not personally part of the solution to seek reconciliation between families. We've got people in our church whose, whose family are, their, their, their families are falling apart and we're not actively seeking that reconciliation. We've got people who were members of our church years and years gone by and for various reasons, and I don't know all the reasons, but they have been hurt one way or the other and we're not actively seeking how can we, whether we're not talking about just bringing them back to this church, but bringing them back to God. That's why we're not part of the solution. Right now our world is hurting, our, our nation rather, is hurting over the rifts between races. Why doesn't the church of Jesus Christ have any help or hope in that in fact we're the ones sitting on the sidelines complaining about why are they even talking about this this thought that was solved and well <laughs> clearly it wasn't clearly it wasn't and this church needs to be helpful to all who are hurting all who are in need i'm past my time thank you for your patience but I want to be a follower, a disciple of Jesus. I want to learn more about Jesus, don't you? If the answer you say is, yep, I do too, well, what are you going to do to learn more about Jesus? Are you going to be more faithful to the assembly? Are you going to be more dedicated to reading God's Word? Are you going to spend some time and actually submit yourself to some teaching? When we get to get Sunday school started again, maybe you'll join a Sunday school class. And in the meantime, maybe you'll say, hey, preacher, I need some help. I want to learn more about Jesus, and I'm getting stifled. Can you show? I've had a couple people do that to me, by the way, and you don't know. That makes my heart go a billion times larger. I would love to sit down with you and show you, here's some stuff you can do by yourself. But I can tell you, there's, there's a lot of... Like, there's a lot of satisfaction. I, I've learned everything I need. Do you want to learn more about him? What are you going to do about it? Do you want to follow Jesus at any cost? What are you willing to give up? Do you want to serve those that are not being served right now? What are you going to do about it? Will you be a disciple of Jesus? Thank you for joining us for Seeking Christ in the Scriptures, the teaching and preaching podcast from McConnell Road Baptist Church in Greensboro, North Carolina. I'm Pastor Matthew Tilley, and I'm so glad you joined us here. But if you'd like to learn more about the church, please visit us online at mcconnellroadbaptist.org.